Thank you for tuning in to Cobblestone Community Church today. We hope this message blesses you. If you need prayer for anything, please email us at prayer at cobblestonechurch.com. Now here's the message. I haven't been here in a while, and I'm pretty amped up today. So the book of Romans is actually called one of it's the greatest gospels, what people call it. Martin Luther loved this book. I mean, the book of Romans is deep. Everybody got it all figured out? Sovereignty, free will, election, you got it all figured out? So we're going to try to do the whole book of Romans. Uh, kind of an overview is because what's happened is we're in a reading plan. We've invited every person that calls this place home to read the Bible every day and that we would read the same things and talk about the Word of God, that we would be a church that would root ourselves in the Word. And when you get to Romans, sometimes you read it and you're like, this is way over my pay grade. I have no idea what it's saying. Me too. But I want to just herald the truths that it has because if the Apostle Paul was here, he would speak, I think, very similarly to our culture that he does to theirs. And where we're at as a, as a church, where we're at not even just as cobblestone, but as the church, we're in a moment where I feel like the, the Lord is like, when's my church going to wake up? When's my church going to realize that I'm strong? When's the church going to go and be like the gospel? The thing that we have our hope in, this Jesus that we serve, is actually the real answer for all the woes of the earth. When is the church going to step into its birthright. And so the, the earth right now, I don't know if you know this, news cycles and TikToks and social media, your neighbors, they're losing their brains. And I feel like Romans is kind of like, Paul just don't care. Paul will look you in the face, tell you you're going to sin, and then be like, do you want to get saved? And I feel like there's this, this moment where the church needs to wake up and, and wake up and see that she's strong. So why, why, why do we read the Bible every week? Why do we so often go, hey, get this in you, why? Is it so you can learn facts about what Paul's missionary journeys were and where he went? No, that's great information. I love learning about biblical archeology. span The whole point is that this would read me, it would change me, and that the power of God would flow through me and you. We are in this moment where we came to Jesus. When we came to Jesus, it was understanding that when Jesus called us, he says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. That's Jesus. That's red letter. Jesus said that. He's the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you say that anywhere in our world right now, do they like it? You have Jesus saying things like, come and follow me, pick up your cross, deny yourself, and die every day. That's Jesus's words. And as I look around the Christian landscape, and I've been gone a little bit, I went to California, that was a trip. And what I realized is there's whole swaths of Christianity that are going, he didn't really mean deny yourself. He actually meant just take a little bit of Jesus, enough to get to heaven, and enough of culture so they won't hate you and mix them. But Paul will have none of that. And I think Paul won't have any of that because Jesus won't have any of that. And so today's going to be hard. And in fact, if you are a parent and you decided your kids should stay in this room, we are going to talk about every cultural topic under the sun. I've just decided that I will not be afraid of you or culture. They can put me in jail or you can hate me, but I will tell you what the word of God says. And here's, <laughs> I had a pastor and he was my preaching professor. He says, your job as a pastor, men, he was talking to a room, mostly men. He said, your job is to tell them what the word says, not to tell them what you think. So I'm just going to do my darndest to tell you what the book of Romans declares. And I'm, I'm afraid of it, actually, because I don't know if you know this, the world hates the message I will about, I'm about to give to you. And what I found is I could care less what the world says, but the church, the church of Jesus Christ should herald truth and we've stopped because we're afraid. And I'm telling you, church, be of, I mean, have courage. Be not afraid. This is the message of the Bible. And so here's, here's the question I believe the Lord would have me lay before you. Will you follow Jesus? Will you serve Jesus even when it costs? 
And I know that that's a question you get asked at youth group, and then you like nail your little thing on the cross, and you're like, I gave my life. I know. But when it comes down to like, you will lose your job if you stand by biblical values where you stand with Jesus. When it comes down to, they will not invite you to their barbecues because they don't want you around reminding them that righteousness is a thing. Will you follow Jesus? Well, it come, when it comes down to, I won't spend my money, my time, or my thought life there, I cannot because it will dishonor God. Will you follow Jesus? And that's, that's where the rubber meets the road because we have these diverging paths right now. If you don't like what I'm saying, I can give you three churches in Oxford that'll tell you the exact opposite and use the Bible to do so. Do you feel that? We're at a moment where the world is going to hell and the church is going, let them. We cannot. We cannot. We will not. And so here's, here's where we're at is that in our world, there's these thoughts that are being, you're being, you're barraged by them every day. And I feel it in my own soul because my neighbors, they have the signs that say like, science is real, love is love, all that stuff. They're getting almost militaristic about it. So if I say, Jesus doesn't like that, they go, shut up, you bigot. I know, and I feel it coming for me. So I either go quietly into the night and I shouldn't be a pastor, or I stand up and I go, church, we have actually nothing to be afraid. So I'm gonna talk about we're going to talk about homosexuality today. We're going to talk about abortion today. We're going to talk about transgenderism today. You want to, put any, you want to talk about politics? Let's do that. Let's talk about politics. Let's talk about every heavy-hitting topic, and here's why. I could give a rip about politics or any of those issues. I give a lot, a lot of cares about people. I don't like those things. I'm not here to talk politics I believe the gospel of Jesus Christ looks over the whole earth and goes, mine. The gospel of Jesus Christ steps into sexuality and goes, I'm the solution to this. The gospel of Jesus Christ steps into racial reconciliation and goes, I'm the solution to this. The gospel of Jesus Christ steps into all arenas of human endeavor and life and goes, I'm the solution to this. So you know the solution to all woes of the earth. And I'll see what, what I see happening is in, in, in modern thought you have, everybody know what postmodern thought is? Maybe, maybe you don't. Postmodernism, everybody heard that word though? So postmodernism at its termination point says this, my truth's my truth, your truth's your truth. So if I say off-brand off Fruit Loops are the best, and the ones that come in the bag? And you go, certainly not, sir. Where's Toucan Sam and the real sugar? You know what I mean? And so on that realm, we're fine, right? Like fighting about Fruit Loops. But the moment that you go, humanity was made for this sexual expression, I have to stop and go, that's not true. That's not true. And so our world is convinced that Truth is all relative. That's postmodern thought. And that you can have a truth that is diametrically opposed to my truth, and they can coexist. So if I tell you two plus two equals, are you sure? But my truth says it's six. Am I wrong? How dare you? And there's this game that the world is playing right now. There's a game that they can't define terms. What's a woman? What's a man? What's sexuality? What leads to life? What leads to death? Is that really good for kids? We can't answer those questions, but the Bible does. And so I'm just going to declare to you today, uh, because I believe the Lord has laid on the church to do this work. And I'll say this, because it is all these topics, you have been made to be convinced that you should never talk about them. But Jesus talks about them. The word proclaims truth over them. And in Revelation 2, you have these letters being written to churches. And I'll show you why, why I felt, finally I was like, I have to do this. In the book of Revelation, God is writing letters to churches. We've often wondered, like, if God wrote us a letter, what would it say? 
If God was like, to the church in Oxford, Ohio, Cobblestone Community Church, I see your works, that you, what do we do? What are we doing that God loves? What are we doing that God hates? Where's the but in our letter? What I mean is, but this I hold against you? Where's that? What would God say to us? And I'm not afraid of it because he's a good father, but this is what he says in Revelation 2, verse 12. And he says, to the angel of the church in Pergamum, write the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name and you did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. So the God of heaven and earth looks at a church on the earth and says, I see that you're standing even in the place where Satan has a throne. You didn't bow to him. You didn't give in to him. You stood. And even when they killed our brother, you still weren't afraid and stood for truth. Bravo, church of Pergamum. Yes, right? But then verse 14, there's a but. We call those, oh, we don't want buts. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans, Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent, and if not, I will come to you as soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So did you hear what Jesus just said to that church? You stood against Satan, even in a city that loved the things of Satan. He's got a throne in the city, but you didn't stand, you didn't stand down. You stood up. But this is what I hold against you. There's this teaching of Balaam. Anybody know what that is? So Balaam couldn't get the people of God to deny God by his words, and so this is what he did. He said, put the Moabite women in front of them. They'll fall in love with them, and they'll give themselves to them. That's how we'll get them. So the, the teaching of Balaam is give yourselves to God and to the things of the world. And then he talks about the Nicola, Nick, I can't even say their names, Nicolaitans. Feel good? That's all right. And what they did is they said they came from pagan practices. And what they were saying was, you can follow Jesus and do pagan worship. You can follow Jesus and do occult practices. You can follow Jesus and do witchcraft. And so you have Jesus writing a letter going, you stood against Satan and his throne in the city, but you allowed this teaching to, exi to exist. And then he says, and if you don't correct it, I'm going to come make war against them with the words of my mouth. That's scary. That's, that's the word of God. So it has to matter to the church what we believe, where we're following, what we're proclaiming is truth. Or I would have to think that he'd write a letter just as similarly to us. And so I feel the weight of that, and I'm going to pray, and then we're going to be in Romans 1. We're going to be in Romans 1 all day. So if you want to grab a Bible while I'm praying, please do. And if you have your kids in here, while I'm praying is a great time for you to take them out of the room if you don't want to have really fun conversations on the way home. And so, Jesus, we come to you today um, actually not to, to look at culture, but to look at you. You are worthy of all things. And you are the one that said that you are the way, the truth, and the life. So you're the truth. And I thank you that there is biblical truth. There's truth, God. And I pray as we read your scripture today, that it would so burn in our hearts that you would change us. You would mold us. You would make us different according to your will and your power. For the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everybody that believes. Would you destroy demonic strongholds? Would you make your people strong? Would we not be afraid anymore, but proclaim the good news of our Lord? I thank you for every heart, soul, person in this room. You know everything about them. It is not a surprise that, to you that they're in this room. And I pray, Lord, for a grace upon my words that I wouldn't be afraid. Your word is true. 
and you're the Lord of my life, even if people don't like what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. So to understand the book of Romans, which is what we've been studying for about a month, and we'll be in 1 Corinthians next week, and we're just going to keep going through the Bible and try not to skip as much. Uh, it's just really hard when you're reading a reading plan, and it's like rapid speed, yeah? But if you were to ask, if I was to ask you, sum up the book of Romans in a verse, what would you do? Like, I don't know. I think maybe I'd just do the sovereignty verses in chapter 9. Would you? I don't know. How, how would you sum up a book that has been called the greatest book of the Bible? And I think you could actually do it with Paul's words in Romans 1, verse 16 and 17. So if you've got a Bible, open it up. I would even say, I dare you to like, memorize this verse. This is the summary of all of Paul's mission, all of Paul's life, all of Paul's desire, these two verses. This is what he wants for his people. This is what he wants for the earth. This is why he's doing all the work he's doing. This, these two verses. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, by the right, the, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. And as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Those two verses are the summary of the whole book. And he's going to spend the next 15 chapters defending that statement. And you're like, really? So when he's talking about election, he's talking about the power of God to save men and women. And how it's sovereign and how you didn't have a choice. God did it. And when he starts talking about, well, does that negate the Jewish promises? He's like, no, they're in this too. It's for the Jews first and then the Gentiles. The whole book, those two verses. The whole thing comes down to, I will not be ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everybody who believes it. And so I just start breaking verses apart. He says, I'm not ashamed. Do you know how hard it is to not be ashamed these days when you look someone in the face and you go, your religion is wrong, it will lead you to death. And the world goes, you should be ashamed of yourself. You, you and I are being taught that we should be ashamed of the very thing that will save the whole earth. At the very, because what it does is it challenges every other thing because what Jesus does, not the church, not God's people, what Jesus did is what, I'm the truth. I'm the life. I'm the way. This is Jesus's words. So when you come to somebody and they're not living underneath Jesus's words and they could care less what he's doing or what he's about, you have to look them in the eye and go, there's no other way. But the world wants you to keep your truth to yourself. They want us to be quiet. And I'll give them this benefit. For a few hundred years, we've been a little loud and a little abrasive and a little bit too political. So I'm not saying let's just start yelling at people. I'm saying if we truly understood what the gospel is, there's no shame in it. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God for salvation. You know why I love Andy? Because the power of God for salvation hit that man's life. Because he was a thing and he's still wrestling with his flesh, but he's declaring that Jesus gives him peace when the, all the earth will not. That is the testimony of his life. The testimony of the church is that there's power from on high in the blood of Jesus to save men and women from their sins. Nothing else can. And so we could spin around the world and go, well, maybe, maybe homosexual relations. That'll, that'll fulfill my soul, but it doesn't. Because men and women were made for God. To everyone who believes. So I've said this before. Christianity is the most exclusive and inclusive thing on the planet. Not everybody's saved on the planet. You know that, right? Everybody can come to Jesus, but they have to go through him. Did you hear me? Everybody, every person you meet, from the lady at Wendy's after this to the guy in Timbuktu, I don't even know where that is, who's a Hindu right now, has to come to Jesus, but they're all invited. Everyone who believes, anyone who believes, but they got to believe in him. And you're the ones with the message. 
You're the ones with that truth and the world wants you to shut your mouth. And I'm like, don't ever shut your mouth. Tell the whole world that Jesus Christ is a good savior and that he will save them. And he is the way and he is the truth and he is the life and they'll spit at you and they'll hate you. And they're probably gonna start taking things away from Christians in probably my lifetime. And we must not stop yelling and declaring. I feel it in my bones because that righteousness of God is by faith in that name. And if the people aren't speaking the name, how are they gonna know? This is Paul's mission, and I want to make it yours. And so you would think, all right, if that's his thesis statement, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because of the power of God, and, and then you were going to start to defend that statement, how would you do it? Well, you'd probably be like, well, if you follow Jesus, you'll have a nice life, and you'll feel peace. That's not how Paul starts. Paul actually starts on the opposite end. So I'm going to start where Paul starts in verse 18, if you want to start with me. And we're going to look at Paul diagnose the whole world. And when I say the whole world, he's diagnosing you and me too. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So he doesn't start with, hey, here's the benefits of following Jesus. He goes, this is why they have to be saved. This is why Jesus is such good news. This is why there's power because the wrath of God has been revealed against humanity. Why? Because we didn't want to know God and we denied that he really was because we wanted to be. But he makes some points. He actually puts every person, the Gentiles, the Jews, the non-religious, the Greeks, the Romans, the Scythians, the barbarians, all of them, he puts them into the same category. And he goes, all of them have turned away from the knowledge of God. Because God has done a couple very, very specific things. Number one, when you look at the heavens, what does that do for your heart? At night, and I don't think it can happen probably in Oxford anymore, too many lights, but you go out there in, you know, Brookville, Indiana, and look up at the middle of the night, what do you see? The heavens, and what do they declare? The glory of God. When you watch a baby be born and take its first breath, what does that declare? That there's awe, there's wonder, there's beauty, there's a creator. And this is Paul's argument. You will not meet a human being that's without excuse. Because God's invisible attributes, his eternal power has been on display in every blade of grass, in every baby's cry, in the complexity of your eyeball to the way that you are processing oxygen right now and breathing out carbon dioxide. Everything declares there's a creator God and you need to owe him your life, except we have it. On top of that, he talks to us not about what's over us, but what's in us. Every human being I've ever met, no matter who it is, has some level of a conscience. And so when they lie, their conscience goes, you shouldn't do that. Every human being, on some level, the deepest, darkest atheist knows you shouldn't kill babies. Knows you shouldn't lie. Knows there's an evil in the world, except they define it and attribute to something other than God, which is what? A suppression of what is ultimately true. This is the book of Romans putting us all in the same basket. When it comes to the knowledge of God, it wasn't that we didn't know, it's that we did on some level and we didn't want to. I don't want God over me, so I'll just say he's not there. I don't want to submit to a God of, that can tell me what to do, so I'll just make up an own, my own God. And typically in America, the number one God in America, you know what it is? So we suppress the truth. And everybody knows what suppression looks like, yeah? So, I mean, even with guns. So you shoot a gun without a suppressor, suppressor kind of shrinks down all those gases and all that noise. And our world is slowly, since the beginning of time, taking the knowledge of God and trying to make it smaller and smaller and quieter. Get that out of my face. 
don't you talk to me about that. I don't believe that. That's not for me. This is the game being played today. For although they knew God, they did not honor him, ask God, or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And so not only did they do this back in the day, so think like literal idols carved into the shape of birds that they bow before and worship, they're doing that this day. So if we can serve God or we can serve us, what are we serving? And they might not be carving idols these days. Don't think totem poles, but we, like, we still have an idol problem in America. We still very much have foolishly dishonored the God of heaven and earth and swapped his view for what? For pleasure, comfort, personal rights. I can do what I want. And all the heavens declared, no, you cannot. So what we do is we look at the word of God and we go, okay, all right. I I see that the Lord is putting this weight on the church now and Paul's tactic is not a very gentle one. What we do is go, well, I'm never gonna tell them they're wrong or going to sin or that that's bad for them. I'm just gonna love them. I think Paul might have words with you. Like, literally, Paul would be like, you're going to catch these hands. You need to speak truth. You need to speak well. You need to be full of grace and truth. And Paul's showing us a way to go, everybody's without excuse, and they're all making excuses for why God can't be God. But the Bible declares it over all of creation. And no matter who you are, there's a religious version of this. There's an irreligious version of this. Even atheists, when they talk to them, I'm like, all right, fine. Okay, tell me why you don't believe in God. And you'll listen closely and they'll say things like, I don't believe in God and I hate him. And I'm like, oh, you, you just said two very, really different things. Or they'll say things like, well, if there is a God, why would he allow so much suffering? So they start with this idea of God and then they suppress. But you and I, we're a religious view of that. When I was a teenager, I did all the suppressing of God that I could. Anybody else? Some of you, even right now, you're trying to suppress the knowledge of God because if you acknowledge that he is God, you have to submit. And so the religious version is we substitute God for a number of things. As a teenager, it was drugs and my self-view of I get to do what I want when I want it. And this is what Paul meant in verse 25. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Worship. They worshiped something other than God. Did you catch that? So no matter who you meet, everybody on the planet's a worshiper. We are worshiping something. You are worshipers, no matter if you're in a church or not, you're giving worship, you're giving worth, you're giving, this is worth my time and my affection and my attention. We're all worshipers. So the guy that says, I'm a dogged atheist, I worship, he might not say that, but he'll say, I sit in nature and I commune. He's worshiping. The guy that says, well, I just wanna give all my time to making millions of dollars, he's worshiping. We have a worship problem because we were created to worship a specific God. For this reason, God delivered them over to disgraceful passions. And this is where Paul starts to diagnose the whole world. He said, okay, so how we have this suppression of the truth of God and what's God supposed to do? If God is the first cause, the very first good creator of all things, he speaks and everything is, and his creation's just like, I don't think he's there. I don't like that. I'm, I'm gonna be God. What would you do? So, okay, let's put it on a human level. Some of you have kids that have nothing, they hate your guts. How's it make you feel? Well, I mean, like, anybody got teenagers? It's like a common thing, yeah? I hate when you breathe like that, mom. And you know what I mean? Like, 
we have it on a microcosm. So what do you do when a God that is holy and majestic and beautiful and out of the overflow of his joy and creativity speaks, everything is created that is created, including humanity, which is the pinnacle of his creation, the image bearers of God. And instead of going glory to God, they go glory to me. What do you do? What do you do? And if on a parent level you know that heartache, then you know a little bit about the heart of God. And the Bible says, Paul says, well, that, then God was just like, okay, fine, have it. When you think of the wrath of God, what do you think? Like, what picks, if I say the wrath of God, what do you, what comes ahead? What comes to mind? Anybody? Go ahead. This is, this is actually not rhetorical. Fire! Anything else? Lightning bolts. Did you say missiles? Did somebody say missiles? <laughs> missiles? No, be careful. The missiles of God will get you. Um, right, we, we think things like this overt, like, oh, he's going to light me on fire. He's going to drop things. Bad stuff's going to happen to me. We probably even picture, like I said, a lightning bolt, a little bit like Zeus up in here. Like all these pictures of wrath, but you know what true biblical wrath is? When God takes his hands off and goes, fine, have it. So when a human, a created human being goes, I want to be God, and I want to sleep with who I want to sleep with, and I want my rights, God's like, don't do it. And he begs people over and over again through the years. He gives them the law to show them how evil it is and how it will destroy them. But finally, you know what he does? Fine. Have it. And then they, they give themselves to all the things that should not be. It'd be a lot like, and this is what we're seeing happening now. It's just been happening a long time, so we're used to it. And I'm trying to wake our hearts back up to it should not be this way, and the gospel is the answer to how it should, cannot be. So if the, let's say, the earth looks at the sun and says, I want to be in the middle. That's how I picture it, right? What happens if the earth's in the middle of the solar system? I know I, don't, not, I didn't listen in school, so I don't actually know. But I'm going to guess bad stuff, yeah? Everything revolves around the sun, S-U-N, right? So if we are created as humans for our lives and our existence and our sustenance and all that we are to revolve around the son of God and we displace him and we put ourselves in the middle, everything starts to fray. Everything starts to decay. Everything from marriages to emotions to society to economic, everything then is decayed by not having God in his, where he's supposed to be, the middle. And you're seeing it on every level. And the church is like, what do we do? And I'm like, the gospel. That's what we do. Because it is God's answer to the decay of a culture, of a world that has said, God, we don't want you in the center. We're going, we do want you in the center. And so because they did this, everything starts to unravel. And in verse 23, it says they exchanged the glory of God for image, so God exchanged them over to the passions of their lust. They dishonored God, so God let them dishonor themselves. Verse 31, they did not see fit to acknowledge God, so God gave them an unfit mind. There's this, this thing that starts to happen as you read Romans, and you're like, oh, no, we're in trouble. We're in, like, we're, there's a problem. Yeah. The whole earth has a problem. The whole earth. Every Christian you've met, every non-Christian, the same problem. And Paul wants us to understand the problem so that when he acknowledges the solution, we go, praise God, he saved us from it. So he begins to explain how this has played out in human history. Verse 26. For this reason, God delivered them over to disgraceful passions. And their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The men, in the same way, also left natural relations with women and were inflamed in their lust for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of, the, of their heir. This is the longest and clearest verse on homosexuality in the Bible. I listened to a three-hour long diatribe about how this verse doesn't mean what you, if you read it, doesn't mean that. So we have theologians, we have biblical scholars, we have liberal theologians, 
We have Episcopal churches. We have whole swaths of people that are going, the word of God doesn't mean that. No, 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 you can be gay. And I'm telling you, the only way you can get there is if you already want to get there and you want to make an excuse for sin. The Bible does not make a place where sexual sin that is homosexual is okay in the house of God. It just doesn't. And that might make you uncomfortable and you might have an aunt who is that way and you love her, but that does not disqualify the word of God. And so as you read the word, what is Paul doing? Because you're like, why is he picking on the homosexuals? He's not. He's actually looking at, well, root cause. And he's going, one of the first things you'll notice when a society displaces God from the middle is their sexual ethics will get real weird. Because if God's in the middle, then God defines what's a man and what's a woman and who should sleep with who. But if God's not in the middle, I get to sleep with whoever I want because I'm God. Everything falls apart when God's not in the middle. Morals, what are those? Well, who do you define those by? Well, my morals are different than your morals. Remember, my truth, my truth, yours, yours. But I go, God's truth is truth. And so as you start to look at what he's doing, he's not picking on homosexuality. What he's doing is it shouldn't, he's like, it shouldn't surprise you that if you displace God, you get this. And so homosexuality is the example of what starts to happen when God the creator is taken out of the world and humanity's replaced it. And so he continues. He just starts to diagnose. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And what's fascinating to me is as he goes into chapter two after this, he's going to go, that's not them, that's us. Them is us, is what Paul's gonna say. He's gonna go, I was the worst of these but blessed be the name of the Lord. Verse 29, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, and malice. Anybody see any of those things in our world? So you see, you see what's happening is what Paul says, economic disorder in the societal level. Everybody's unrighteous. They're evil. They're coveting. They're malice. They're malicious. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips and slanderers. See any of that? And you're seeing that in the social fabric of who we are. Social media is a jungle of vicious, vile death. That was a little extreme. Go on social media after this. Post something that's not along the lines of what's socially acceptable and see how you are treated. You'll see viciousness, gossip, maliciousness, they call it cancel culture, but really it's just death. That's social disorder. They are haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. Do we not see our world inventing ways to be evil and loving it? That's spiritual disorder on every level. And then I love when they have lists in the Bible, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. That's family disorder. So on every level, when you displace God from the middle and you go, there is no truth, a society, a world, a culture, everything starts to decay. And you see it in socially, you see it in families, you see it in economics, you see it in politics. Yes, you see it in politics. Uh, you see it everywhere. And this is what theologians call total depravity. Everybody's sinned. Everybody's unholy. Everybody loves unrighteousness. No one seeks God. No one. This is where Paul puts everybody, even you and me. This is what he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God to save everyone who believes in Jesus. Well, if we're getting saved, saved from what? This. Saved from all the maliciousness of my own heart. Saved from all the anger and the rage that used to be in me before Jesus Christ saved me. Saved from the lust and the depravity and the grossness that is a life lived unto self and not unto God. That's why the gospel is good news, because it saves me from all of that. He saves me, not you, not a world system, not any politician. Jesus Christ saves me from me. This is the gospel. 
And when you look at people and you go, you are lost, they go, how dare you say I'm lost? I'm so found. I found a community. I am loved. I am me. You are you. And I'm like, you need a savior. So I'll give you one more verse, and then we'll make this really real world. Because I don't, yeah. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they do not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Now, I can walk a long way with a lot of sinners. I actually love sinners. I love hanging out in bars. I, I've actually made a point regularly to be like, I'll invite homosexual families to my house. They can eat dinner with my family. What I cannot do, and this is what the world gets so mad, they want me to do this. They want me to be like, bravo, way to be a sinner. And I'm like, I can't. What makes the world so mad right now is when the church goes, I can't even, I can't even talk about what you're doing. I can't even join you in it. I will not accept it. I, I'm not going to applaud the evil that's going on. And I think there's so many things I could talk about right now. But when we talk about these things most of the time in a Christian context, we're like, that's right, those sinners are going to hell. That's actually not the goal of this sermon. The goal of this sermon wasn't so you could know homosexuality is wrong and a sin. The Bible's really clear about that. The goal of this sermon was not so you could be like, I knew, I knew them man boys were wrong. I, that's not the whole point of this sermon. The whole point of this sermon was that you might be inflamed by the Holy Spirit through the scriptures to go out to a world that is so lost. They are redefining what truth is, what is right and what is wrong. And we say out loud, we know the one who is the truth. I'm not content to sit in our little church and go, we know the truth. Go tell them it. Go beg them. Go lay down and make it hard for them to go to hell. Go lay in front of them and give them every argument and beg them and love them and pray for them and show them there's no other way. Instead, we get all amped up and we go, I knew we were right and they were wrong. That is not what we are after. Because I look at this. And I look at idolatry that Paul's talking about, and I look at they want us to applaud along with uh, the things they're doing. And there was a, a, it was a little while back, and uh, I remember watching it and being like, that's odd. And I think it was in Wisconsin. They made a law that you could abort a baby right up to the moment of birth. And I was watching these politicians, and they made the law, made it into law, um, and as soon as they made the law, everybody in the room stood up and every politician did this. And they cheered and they went, we can abort babies. And I was like, that's what it looks like. That's what it looks like when a world has so lost themselves in being their own gods. And so at the root of a lot of the agendas of our earth, uh, like I'll go, I'm gonna go there. The pro-choice agenda, you know what it's rooted in? Idolatry. And I know these are heavy topics. And I know that some of us in this room, you'll be really mad at me, but I'd rather you be mad at me in the word of God than God be mad at me. The pro-choice movement is all about, I get to determine what is a, what's comfortable for me, what life is, if, it's, if it works on my schedule, that is idolatry at its core, and it's evil. But really what's started to happen in the church is we've stepped away from these topics, and we're letting the world die and rot. In the 1960s, there was a thing called the sexual revolution. Anybody alive for that? All the, everybody's like, I think I was alive. <laughs> I took part. Um, <laughs> so... What happened during the 1960s in the sexual revolution is the church stepped way out of that topic. The church went, whoa, sex? We can't talk about that. And let a whole generation define what was appropriate and what was good. And in the process, the world stopped listening to them and truth stopped being heralded and it hurt a whole generation. We can't do that right now. We really can't do that right now. 
Because God's word and God's truth, there's no square inch of creation that God doesn't rightfully go, that's mine. I created that for me. You were created for him. Every human being you meet was made for him. So let's get it. I'll get into these topics. The whole discussion is undergirded in Paul's mind that they have to understand the wrath of God has been revealed because men and women have, sub, they have subjected themselves to futility and they are what is it, suppressing the truth of God. So let's talk about abortion really quick. I am 39 years old. Uh, six months before I was to be born, my mom was in an abortion clinic on a table because my mom and my dad were not married. My dad was married to another woman and I was a problem. And so my mom's sitting there and she's you know, feeling everything a woman would feel in that scenario. And she says, you don't understand. I heard a voice tell me to leave. And so my mom gets up, which is a bold move to do when you've already signed the papers and done the work and felt the shame and gone through all the process of like, no, 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 this will be the best thing, get rid of the baby. What I'm here to testify is, look what God does when people don't do, and it's, none of it's easy, yeah? None of it. So I have sat with teenage girls that are pregnant, and the church looks at her and goes, Tisk, I can't believe you. We will not be that church. What we must learn to do is not run away from these hard topics, but enter into them. And when you enter into them, they are hard. So how many of you right now will take a foster kid? How many of you right now will adopt seven kids? And you're like, well, that'll mess up my retirement. Yeah! The things of God are not always easy or fun. But the early church, you know what they were known for? Rescuing babies that were abandoned and bringing them into their own home. You know what that cost them? Money, time, comfort. And they all went, it's worth it. So when is the church not gonna look at these hairy, ugly topics and not get sucked into politics or all the stupid crap that's going on on the news and go, no, no, the thing that God has called us to be is entirely pro-life and therefore I'll have to give up. I'm gonna give up some weekends. I'm gonna watch foster kids so their parents can go on a date. When are we gonna be the church that doesn't just sit back and go, that's the truth, but enters in with the gospel of Jesus? This is the hour. The, world, the whole world knows that the church loves to run its mouth, but they're waiting for us to actually be the hands and feet. They, they're waiting. And God designed the church to go out and herald the gospel that yes, it's decaying there. Yes, it's broken there, but there's hope and glory and newness in the name of Jesus. On every level. So I don't know where you are with abortion. I know that some of us probably have dark, deep stories, but I just heard a story. Matt Chandler was talking about the same topic, and he said, I met a woman who started to chug bleach so she could kill the baby in her. And most of us, when we think about a lady trying to get an abortion, we think evil thoughts. And he began to weep, and I was like, I think he's on to something. Instead of viewing them as the enemy, think about the desperation there. What causes a woman to start chugging bleach, y'all? A hopelessness and a grief. That the only answer I have is Jesus Christ heals all grief and brings hope even in the darkest, dankest, bleh. God does that. We know him. Go, therefore, and announce the coming of the Son of God and the doing away of sin and its penalty. Go, go do that work. It will hurt, it will cost you, you will not be in your white picket fence, labradoodled house anymore. You'll be in real world, but Jesus lives in the real world. And he is the answer to all of sin's problems. So you go into transgenderism, Psalm 139 says, you knit me together my mother's womb and I'm beautifully and wonderfully made, yeah? So I am of the belief that transgender, that whole agenda right now is an absolute farce and is destroying kids. There's, so here's why. God doesn't make mistakes because God doesn't put boys in girls' bodies. He just doesn't. 
So if you take a world that puts God out of the center, sure, you're a mistake, kid. Let's swap that gender and we'll fix it. In the Bible well, that doesn't exist. And it's really actually quite evil if you follow it to its termination point. I have a cousin, his name's Alex. I love him. Ooh, he has Down syndrome. Did God make a mistake? Did God make a mistake? So the end of liberal genderism thought is, well, if there's a mistake, let's just cut off some stuff or let's get rid of it. But God goes, no, they're made in my image too. And so as you look at these issues, God speaks over all of them. And what I've sat with, I've sat with teenagers. The last one I remember sitting with, we're struggling with some transgender stuff. And like, I, I'm just, you know, it was a young girl and she was a little boyish. She had long sleeves on. And I said, why are you wearing long sleeves? It's like 90 degrees out. This cuts. There's a whole generation that believes they are absolute trash. And Satan has convinced them that. They're all, have you ever met a teenager? No one feels comfortable. I don't feel comfortable in my own body half the time anyway. You remember being a teenager? Do you remember being a teenager? When I was in eighth grade, they had me write a letter to my high school self. Do you know what the first words of that letter were? Andrew, you're gonna be an amazing drug dealer. So I think what we should do is let prepubescent teenagers decide with life-altering surgeries what they should be when they grow up. If you let my eighth grade self decide what I'd be when I grow up, it was going to be a pot dealer who was really good at just running from the law. That was the whole letter, guys. And then those little S's that you like connect the thing, you know what I'm talking about? That was the whole thing. That was the whole thing. And so we as a, as, a, as a church have to stand up and go, no, 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 no. I know you feel out of place. I know that you're hurting. And most of those kids, you know why they're cutting themselves? Not because they're stupid, it's because they, they wanna feel something. And you go, God made you for more. When are we gonna be the church that steps into the cutting and the suicide, and the alcohol, and the drugs, and the genderism debate, and the abortion debate, and doesn't just get loud along with the culture, but declares something actually worth knowing, that the power of God is in the gospel, and that it will heal you, make you new, and free you from your sin. And then you get into sexuality. You get into homosexuality. You get into all of that. This past weekend, um, actually last Sunday, uh, the Catholic Church uptown, you all heard about this? So the new priest came in and he wrote a letter and all he said in that letter, and it wasn't even to the culture or the world, it was just to the, the Catholic church. It said, marriage is between a man and a woman. God designed it that way. It leads to healthy families and healthy kids and your kids are being taught a lie. And so people got caught news of that and they had a protest last Sunday. Did you know that? Uptown Oxford, about 50 people protested silently the Catholic Church, which for last, as far as I know, the last 2,000 years has stood on that doctrine. Guess what doctrine we stand on? I don't like everything Catholic, but I do like the Bible. And the Bible makes it clear that God created man and woman, that marriage is between one man and one woman, and that the best things for kids is a mom and a dad. I just said something to you that if you send this podcast, hello podcast, to Kramer, or put it on Facebook, they'll come protest here. And we know what we're gonna do? We're gonna throw them a party. And we'll get them donuts and hot coffee and we're gonna love the hell out of them. We really are. Don't send this to them. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to fight non-Christians. I want to love them so well. But really part of loving somebody, so if I see your kid about to walk off a cliff and I go, oh no, am I loving them? And so I know the temperature right now is really hard and that the anger level of the world is coming out. It's, the enemy's roaring because he lost. But the church doesn't have to be afraid. The church gets to really calmly be like, I know that you're hurting. 
But there's a God that made you on purpose to know him. Do you want to know him? And they might be like, you're an idiot. I don't want to know anything you know, blah, 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 blah. But the world, the whole world replaced God with self and is reaping, reaping what has been sown. And we know the answer. I'll give you one more verse out of Romans. Romans 8 says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. I love that verse because I, I picture like a tree just like this. That's why I love it. All creation is groaning for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God that they might step into what God saved them to be. The whole earth is under judgment and wrath and sin is destroying them. And we know the answer. We know him. So when I encounter a kid that is cutting themselves and is being abused, I don't turn around and go, oh, that's a hard truth to talk about. I enter in because Jesus can. And when I meet a mom who's on her seventh kid and she's single, I go, keep the kid or I'll have it. This is the life. I will follow Jesus no matter where life leads me. So if the rest of my days, people are like, well, that's the guy. He's a bigot. He likes to talk about, fine. But I'm, I'm, I'm putting me and this church, we are going to stand with the word of God. We really, we really are. And the world will hate us. Did you know that was a promise of Jesus? Jesus said, if the world hates me, it'll hate you. Do you know what terrifies most Christians? The thought of being hated. The thought of not being invited to the block party. The thought of someone not thinking that you're the most loving thing on the planet. You're not. But you know him. And so here's what I like to do. And I know, like I said, I talked long. And I apologize. I don't actually. I want to pray. Um, and we're going to pray for, we're going to pray for those people. And you're like, what people? We're going to pray for anybody you know with same-sex attraction, anybody in a homosexual marriage. We're going to pray for them. I want you to pray for them by name that God would visit them with grace and mercy and call them into light. We're going to pray for them. We're going to ask for conviction, and then we're going to ask for boldness for our own hearts, yeah? If you know somebody that's in this, this place where, like, life's hard, or maybe they're looking into, I don't know, gender stuff, or maybe they're living with their boy. We're going to pray for people we know that God would save them. Can we do that? You're not too looking too sure, but okay. So, Lord, we just come to you now in response to your word, not with judgmental fingers pointed out, but asking in the name of Jesus that your, your work would be done on the earth that you would go after those right now that we bring to mind, like we bring those names to you, that you would save them, that you would convict them, that you would lead them away from hell and into eternal life, that you would show us how to be bold and how to be full of courage, that we would not be so afraid. I thank you that your truth over the earth is true, that your judgments are true, that your word is true, that you died on a cross the death that we deserve because we suppress the knowledge of you. But we actually declare that you are God. You are God over our lives, over our kids, over politics, over every facet and over every, over every realm. So if you know someone, would you pray for them right now with a somberness? And then I want you to follow it up to a question to God. God, what do you want me to do? If they're in your life, he wants you to do something.
So we're going to end just right where we're at, praying, somber, what the Bible would call a solemn assembly. And I'm going to invite Dave to come up and just strum. Um, But I'm also going to invite any elders. So what I know is I just kind of, some of you probably feel like I threw like a hand grenade in here, blew up the whole conversation, and you're like, now I can't ever come back to this church. I would love to talk to you. I would love to weep with you. I know in all of these situations, it creates emotions that sometimes don't make sense. But if you're here, maybe you struggle with the whole same-sex attraction. Maybe you have had an abortion. Maybe you are like, I don't fit in my own body. You are welcome here. I'll just tell you the truth. So we're going to invite the prayer teams, elders, and you can just slip out right now if you're ready to go. But if you need to talk about any of this, about what the Word of God says, about what is true, about I didn't like how he said, we would welcome it. I would welcome the conversation. Because Andy testified today, I would also say this. If you are addicted, marriage is hard, you're like, I'm not perfect, welcome. And we would love to pray for you. We love to spend these last minutes responding to, hey, I see some of that depravity in me and I need God to save me from it. Everybody else, you're welcome to keep praying, worship along, or receive prayer. But I love you. Thanks for letting me speak the truth. And I'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us today. If you need prayer for anything, you can email us at prayer at cobblestonechurch.com or you can go on our website at www.cobblestonechurch.com and submit it there. We'd love to pray for you. Have a great week and God bless.